are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Diamondbacks podcast. They're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day listening to who? The always charismatic host of this podcast, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer. So please go check out my website, MillerThomas24.myportfolio.com. I'm there. You can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. If you want more content by me, then just follow my Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account or just follow the show account on Twitter. Just search of a locked on Dimebacks in that little search bar, and I'm sure you'll find the podcast handle. Now, for today's show, we are discussing a few different topics. The first segment, we're going to be discussing the pending free agents, the options on their contracts. The D-backs made some decisions over the weekend, so I'm going to be giving my thoughts on the decisions they made with some options with some guys over the weekend. We're going to be looking back at the Dansby-Swanson trade, not that the World Series is over. I think it's fitting to look back at that terrible trade that the D-backs made. And then we're going to be wrapping up the pod. Lessons learned from the Braves. I got this topic. It was inspired by a Bleacher Report article I wrote, uh, I read, not wrote, that I read. So, we're going to be applying some lessons you learned from the Braves World Series run and how it can translate to the D-back. So we got a whole bunch I want to talk about today on the pod. But thank you for making Lockdown Diamondbacks to your first listen every day because this podcast is not possible without you listening, subscribing, reviewing, sharing. Thank you for doing all that. The podcast is free and available on all platforms. So please continue to do what you do. But now, let's jump right into the podcast. You are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Miller Thomas of Locked On Diamondbacks still here, and let's first talk about Cole Calhoun, when looking at those free agents with the options on this D-backs team, and Cole Calhoun, $9 million team option, which was declined by the D-backs, so they're going to be going the $2 million buyout route. And Cole Calhoun is someone that I liked a lot in the D-backs uniform. Now, we didn't get to see him a ton because we had the 60-game shortened season 2020. Then he missed a ton of time this season with injuries. So it's not like we got to see a ton of Cole Calhoun. But at the time I did see him, I liked what I saw from Cole Calhoun. But he's not no star. He's not no superstar player. And for a team that's going to most likely be under 500 next year, does it make sense to bring back a Cole Calhoun on a $9 million price tag? He's going to be 34, or he I think he already turned 34 years old, so he's an older kind of guy. And right now, Cole Calhoun is the type of player that I think is a good player in a lineup, but I think he's more valuable to a team that's 
on the cusp of making the playoffs or a World Series contender. I don't think he offers much value to a team like the D-backs unless you talk about him as a veteran presence and locker room guy. There is some parts of his offensive game that I do think the D-backs could use and that they're going to miss out on because it doesn't look like Cole Calhoun is coming back. Uh, he is a left-handed batter, and the D-backs are a team not very good against right-handed pitching. The league average in the National League last year against right-handers, 724 OPS against right-handers in the National League last year. But for the D-backs, they were only 672 as a team when you look at their OPS against right-handed pitching last season. But Cole Calhoun, a, left, uh, a left-handed at-bat, 768 OPS against right-handed pitchers in his career. So Cole Calhoun, very good against right-handed pitchers. And the D-backs are a team that's not very good against right-handed pitchers. They're, compared to the rest of the National League, they are below average. And seeing a guy like Cole Calhoun dip is not going to make that any easier for them in the future. It's going to be an area that they're going to need to address. you still got Dalton Varsho who can hit pretty well against right-handed pitching. Got David Peralta, lefty as well. But after that... Haven Smith, he needs to show more. He needs to show more offensively before I really trust him. Uh, Jake McCarthy, it's not like I really trust that guy. I don't think he really has a future in the D-backs uniform. Maybe I'm wrong there, but the D-backs are going to need some higher, higher level left-handed batters, some better quality left-handed batters to attack this right-handed pitching. Because for the D-backs, they were basically basically getting no offense against right-handed pitching. Last year, and that's going to be even more of a struggle next season without a Cole Calhoun. But still, his $9 million price tag is probably too much for the D-backs who do not like to pay guys double-digit money, double-digit millions. is something the D-backs have not been doing. Madison Baumgartner, I believe, is the only guy making double-digit millions. So it's not something the D-backs want to do. So I'm not surprised to see a Cole Calhoun leave. I would have liked to keep the asset, but if anything, the D-backs would have had to trade him to a contender at the deadline regardless if they decided to pick him probably pick up his option now the other guy another player that had his option declined was tyler clippard 3.5 million dollar mutual option five hundred thousand dollar buyout this is not a very expensive option cole Cal, uh excuse me tyler clippard was pretty good with the d-backs last season now he didn't make his debut until july 21st so it was pretty late in the season when we first got to see him but since he made his debut with the D-backs, he did pick up six saves, 3.2 ERA over 25 innings. So he did look pretty good in D-backs uniform. He was maybe one of the two, three most trustworthy relievers. And there was not many of them in the D-backs bullpen. So Tyler Clippard was one of the frontline relievers that the D-backs had to go to a bullpen, especially in a high leverage moment. I think Tyler Clippard was on the short list of bullpen guys I probably would have trusted there's not many of those guys in the D-backs bullpen that I trust. But if you look at some of his peripheral numbers, uh, his strikeout rate was his lowest since 2008. And if you care about FIP, fielding independent pitching, uh, it was uh, it was more than run and a half higher at 4.71 than his normal ERA. So there could be some regression for Tyler Clippard next season. He is 37 years old. He's going to turn 37. So he's a guy that is no spring chicken. He's definitely been in the game for a while. And he was part of a medley of offseason moves of ex-closers that Mike Hazen signed like he's been doing the last couple offseasons. Joaquin Soria was another one that 
didn't pan out. He was traded at the deadline. Chris Davinsky basically missed the entire season. Tyler Clippard was the only one among those group of old veteran relievers that really made an impact on the D-backs this season. But still, $3.5 million. I think the D-backs are going to try to find a cheaper, maybe in-house option for the bullpen next season. And then the last guy that had an option exercise was Merrill Kelly who had a $5.25 million team option that the D-backs picked up because this guy has been a stud and he's been on a bargain with this team, basically only making $12.3 million prorated over the last four seasons. He's been a very efficient and effective pitcher for the D-backs. He pitched a lot for this team last year. He led the team in both starts and innings last season. He had a 4.44 ERA, FIP 411, and he was just a guy that could go deep into ball games last season, innings eater, and I thought overall he was solid. There was a little 8-9 start stretch where he had like a, th- a low threes ERA where he looked pretty good. Uh, he bounced back from a nice thoracic outlet surgery last year. He had an incredible 2020 season that was cut short by that injury, so I wasn't sure how he was going to pitch in 2021, and he ended up looking pretty good. Obviously, he's not a number one starter. He's not a number two starter. He's not a frontline starter, but Merrill Kelly, if he's your number four, number five starter, obviously he might be the number three starter on this D-backs team, but for a contender, if he's your four or five starter, I think that's pretty good for Merrill Kelly. I like where he's slotted in this rotation right now. I trust Merrill Kelly. He's still not that old, only entering, what, his fourth or fifth season in the major leagues, despite being in his early 30s. So there may not be much more of a ceiling for Merrill Kelly the scratch, but he could get a little bit better, incrementally better. I could see that ERA if you told me after a full season coming off that injury, having now, what, two years removed from that surgery, being fully healthy for another season. Maybe he has an ERA around 3-7 where he looks a little bit better, lowers that walk rate a little bit more because I think he's someone that's really good at controlling, uh, at controlling the strike zone, low 90s fastball, really wants to work the contact, and get ground balls. So I like a Merrill Kelly. I think he's a stable force in this D-backs rotation, and he could be a reason if the D-backs somehow make a wild card run. Merrill Kelly's going to be a big contributor to that for the D-backs next season, if that's even possible, if this team's even good enough to make a wild card run next season. But either way, Merrill Kelly coming back on a 5.25 million dollar team option is an absolute bargain for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Now, we'll talk about that terrible Dansby-Swanson deal so many years later, but does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before. So you can watch your favorite sports movies and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. The best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. All right, all right, all right. 
let's get back into the podcast and let's discuss that terrible, terrible Dansby Swanson trade because if you guys don't remember, let's go back in the time portal. Let's go in the time machine. That was my time machine sound. And on December 9th, 2015, the Arizona Diamondbacks traded and Darren Ciarte, Aaron Blair, and Dansby Swanson, number one overall pick to the Atlanta Braves for Shelby Miller and Gabe Spear and what became one of the worst trades in D-backs history. The D-backs were coming off a 79-win 2015 season. They were feeling frisky. They were like, we were near 500. We got some incredible performances from a young pitcher in a Robbie Ray. We got another incredible young performance from uh, Patrick Corbin. We got two young studs. We got a nice bullpen led by Brad Ziegler, Randell Delgado. We got a Paul Goldschmidt in our lineup. We're up and coming team. We're not that far away from making a real push in the playoffs and making a real run in the postseason. And this was a team that was like, hey, why not us entering the 2016 season? Why not a couple moves in free agency in the offseason and propel us to maybe a NLCS or better, an NLDS or better? Why not the D-backs? That's the mentality they had entering the 2016 season. So what did the D-backs do entering 2016 season? They signed a Zach Granke. They signed a Tyler Clippard. They traded for Shelby Miller. They traded for Gene Segura. And in the previous offseason, they even signed a Yasmani Tomas. They were making all-in moves. They felt like they had a young core that was ready to pop, that just needed some veteran presence around it, some offseason signings that could help add to the talent pool in Arizona. And what happened in 2016 for the Arizona Dimebacks? They won 10 less games. They went from 79 wins in 2015 to just 69 wins in 2016. Why? The rotation and bullpen was terrible. Shelby Miller never panned out in Arizona. He went 5 and 18 with 635 in three seasons with the D-backs. Absolutely terrible. He was mired by injuries consistently. And this is someone that was pretty good before coming over to Arizona. This season before with the Atlanta Braves, the the, the very previous season before, he had an all-star appearance, his only all-star appearance, a 302 ERA and a 345 FIP. He had like a 3-3 ERA in the previous three seasons combined before coming to over to Arizona. So Shelby Miller was a stud. Remember, too, this was someone that was still in his young 20s, early 20s. So you looked at a Zach Greinke, someone in his mid-30s getting this mega contract. The D-back said, we need to get this guy number two rotation starter. And they said, we're going to get us a Shelby Miller, a young stud. And we're going to put him as our number two behind Zach Greinke. Then we're going to have a Robbie Ray, another guy in his mid-20s, along with a Patrick Corbin. We got three really young starters plus a future Hall of Famer with Zach Greinke. And we should be set. At least that's what they thought heading into 2016. All fell apart. The rotation was terrible. No one had a ERA below four. The bullpen crapped out as well. The lineup was fine, but the pitching was absolutely terrible for the D-backs. And the trade ended up not working out, of course, obviously. Shelby Miller didn't work out for the D-backs. He's still only 30 years old. He actually had a 9.24 ERA uh, with two ball clubs this past season, which I was pretty surprised to see. But 
Shelby Miller didn't work out. He had Tommy John in his second season and was never the same after that. Gabe Spear never made it to the big leagues with the D-backs, so that was a wash. So from the D-backs point of view of the trade, they got Shelby Miller, a guy who was terrible when he was on the field, and when he wasn't pitching, he was usually getting surgery or on the injured list. Meanwhile, the other guy in the deal never made it to the big leagues. And what did the D-backs give up? Well, and Aaron Ciarte actually proved to be a pretty good player for the next few seasons. Basically has a 275 average and 717 OPS in his career with the Atlanta Braves. Made one all-star team as well. Aaron Blair pitched in 16 games over two seasons with the Braves. That was really just a throw-in piece. But Dansby Swanson... He's not any type of, he's no superstar player. He was drafted number one overall, but has he lived up to being a number one overall pick? I don't think I would say that, but he is a pretty good ball player and probably a player the D-backs would like to have on this team. Uh, he has a 249 average over six seasons with the Braves, 77 home runs, 315 RBIs, and he's turned out to be a pretty damn good defensive player. So, He's basically a rich man's Nick Ahmed because he's not an elite offensive player, but he did make tremendous progressions in his offense this season. Career high, career high in home runs with 27, career high in RBIs, AD, and OPS when you look at a full season that's more than 60 games. His OPS was the best of his career, 760 this year, and he was super helpful in the Braves postseason. He won the World Series title, he hit a home run in the clinching game six, and he got the final out to seal the victory. So Dansby Swanson ended up turning into a really good player and the D-backs walked away from the trade with nothing. So what is the lesson learned here for the D-backs? Honestly, I can't even tell you. I don't even think there is a lesson to learn here for the D-backs because what would the lesson be uh, to not to not try to trade for pitching studs in their early 20s? Like, I don't know what the lesson would be. Shelby Miller was a stud pitcher. Maybe the, the lesson is don't trade number one overall draft picks before they even have a chance to develop in your system. That's probably the only lesson you could learn. Wait to see what number one overall pick can do in your system before you trade them. But outside that, it's not like they gave him up for nothing. Like Shelby Miller was like 24 years old at the time that the D-backs acquired him. Of course, Ender and CRTA and CRT ended up being a better player than the D-backs thought. But overall, at the time, the trade was pretty fair. And I can't really tell the D-backs to not do it all over again. This was a team trying to win. And I respect team for winning. This was a D-backs team. I was trying to make moves to help them get better. Now, maybe you could criticize some of their moves, like giving Granky over $200 million and signing Yasmin Tomas to that fat contract. But at the time, considering the moves they were making, I approved of the Shelby Miller trade as well. But looking back at it, you can't deny it was one of the worst moves in D-backs franchise history. Now, we'll talk about Lessons from the Braves World Series that the D-backs can apply to their own philosophies, but this episode is brought to you by Bilt Bar. I love Thanksgiving, all the good food and treats, and plenty of them, but maybe you want a yummy dessert, but isn't so full of calories and sugar. It's the perfect time for Bilt Bars. Bilt Bar is the new holiday dessert. Feast on something delicious and feel good about it. One slice of pie has upwards of 300 calories, and that's on the low end. Most most built Bars are only 130 calories and only 4 grams of sugar with plenty of protein. Replace the coconut cream pie with coconut built Bars. Or go for a raspberry built Bar instead of that raspberry pie. Lots of good flavors to replace any pie. 
low calorie, low carb, low fat, high protein, covered in 100% chocolate, real chocolate that is. Built is a great option for when you're hungry. If Thanksgiving isn't coming soon enough, go for a Built Bar or two. Share some at your family gatherings. It'll make things less awkward. Maybe Aunt Betty hasn't tried a Built Bar yet. New surprises all month. Limited time flavors arriving at Built.com regularly. So check the site often. There's nothing like Built Bar Black Friday. Mark your calendar. Black Friday will be a huge event with all sorts of surprises. Offer. Go to built.com, use promo code LOCK15, and you'll get 15% off your order. Promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the podcast and let's discuss some lessons we can learn from the Braves' run to the World Series. This is a topic inspired by an article written by Zachary Reimer of Bleach Report, basically detailing some of these some of these lessons. But I only got two lessons really for the D-backs that they need to maybe apply to their own philosophies within the organization. Because the first lesson is you need home runs. Yes, that seems like a pretty obvious philosophy. Home runs are very important in baseball, but they were super duper important for the Braves, and they were super duper important for the last few World Series champions, the Atlanta Braves. In the regular season, third most home runs in baseball, 239. And when you look at the postseason, the Atlanta Braves led the Major League postseason in home runs as well with 23. The Braves hit 11 home runs in the World Series. The Astros hit two. The plus nine home run differential for the Braves is tied for the largest by any team in a World Series with uh, is tied for the largest lead in any World Series since the 1956 Yankees who hit 12 to the Dodgers three. That is a stat courtesy of Sarah Lang. So this World Series showed you how important the how important home runs are. This postseason showed you how important home runs are. And basically, modern baseball over the last 10 to 15 years has showed you how important home runs are. D-backs are a team that just does not hit enough home runs. Second fewest home runs in the National League with 144 this past season. No one on the active roster at the end of the season even cracked 15 The D-backs are a team that just does not have enough sluggers. They just do not have the power. And we look up, up and down that roster, where is it going to come from? It's going to be, it's going to need to be addressed in the offseason. Ketel Marte obviously has another level. We've seen this guy hit 30 home runs before, but after him, Carson Kelly, I could see him getting to 20 plus home runs. But after that, I don't think a Paven Smith will. David Peralta in his mid-30s, can he turn back the clock and turn into the 30-home run guy he was before? I doubt it. Christian Walker, I'm not sure of his future with the team. Josh Rojas, I doubt it. Dalton Varsho, I could see being a 20-plus home run guy. But outside of him, Kelly and Ketel Marte, the D-backs are going to have to look toward the offseason and add some slugger to this lineup. The Braves are a team that... Smashed home runs in the regular season, smashed home runs in the postseason, and they smashed home runs in the World Series. And if you look at five of the last World Series winners, all of them, five of the last six World Series winners out hit the out hit the opponent in home runs. And the lone ex- exception was the 2019 World Series, where the Nationals and Astros 
each hit 11 home runs, so they push. So basically, if you don't beat your opponent in the home run department, you're not going to win the World Series. So that's something the D-backs are going to have to address in the offseason. And then the other lesson that the D-backs can learn, they have to get themselves some horses in the bullpen and in the rotation. If you look at a Max Freed, uh, Ian Anderson, and Charlie Morin, they were the only starters to make more than one start for the Braves in the postseason. And all three of them made at least four. Five relievers appeared in at least seven games for the Braves in the postseason. Tyler Mazdek, 13 games, 15.2 innings pitched. A.J. Minter, 8 games, 12 innings pitched. Will Smith, 11 games, 11 innings pitched. Luke Jackson, 11 games, 8.2 innings pitched. And Jesse Chavez, 7 games, 6.1 innings pitched. Of the 75 innings that the Braves pen pitched during the playoffs, more than half of them were handled by three guys. Will Smith, A.J. Minter, and Tyler Maztec. Thank you to Zachary Reimer for that stat. The D-backs do not have the horses where you could say, we're going with three these three starters and these four or five relievers, and this eight-man rotation, this eight-man pitching staff is basically going to get us through the postseason. It's kind of like basketball when you just have an eight-man rotation. When you get to the baseball postseason, you're looking for your eight best pitchers, and the D-backs don't have eight really good pitchers that could stand up in the postseason right now. Will Smith, A.J. Minter, and Tyler Maztec, they all combined for only seven runs allowed while striking out 50 batters in the postseason. They were absolutely dominant. Who can do that for the D-backs? Gallon, Bumgarner, and Kelly would be three of the eight, but after that, who? The D-backs are going to have to develop some of their pitching. Corbin Martin, J.B. Braskakis, they have to get better with him. Acastianos, I don't know who it is. Maybe go out there and sign some relievers that are better than these minimum guys like a Hector Rondon that a Mike Hazen wants to continue to burden, burden the team with. The D-back starters also have to do better at going deeper into ball games. They average five innings uh, five innings pitched per a game started, which was league average in the National League. And second worst quality start percentage, only 25% in the National League. D-back starters just weren't going deep enough into the game on average. And when you get to the postseason, you're going to need those workhorses because not only do you need your starters to maybe go at least five to six innings in the postseason? They also have to be ready to pitch on short rest. That's been a common theme in the postseason in the last few years. These starters are just getting three to four days of rest. Usually you're a frontline starter if they're pitching game one. They're probably going to pitch a game, what, four or five as well. So the D-backs, after a gallon, we've seen Bumgarner on the big stage, but he's older. Merrill Kelly, we've never seen it from him. So the D-backs are going to have to get themselves some horses, also not just in their rotation, also in their bullpen because there's not enough guys that we trust there as well. I like the lineup. Going to have to add some home run boppers as well. So the two lessons that the D-backs can learn from the Atlanta Braves and hopefully apply it to their offseason, go get you some home run boppers and go get you some horses in your rotation and bullpen. Now that's it for this edition of the Locked on Dimebacks podcast. Thank you to everyone who tuned in to today's pod. Come back tomorrow for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. Of course, thank you for making Locked on Dimebacks your first listen every day. This podcast is not possible without you, so thank you. We'll be previewing some free agents this week on the podcast that the D-backs should go after, so be on the lookout for that. And as always, stay safe and stay healthy out there. Deuces! is
is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is is